lives a living, or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Let me just tell you right now, if you have not listened to the previous podcast, you need to stop and not listen to this one, because this is part two with Norm Welsh, and he's a police officer. He has an absolutely unbelievable story. First police officer we've ever had on a podcast, and if you want to talk about somebody, matter of fact, I was telling staff that I don't know that we've ever had anybody on a podcast who has dealt with more issues than this man. Uh, when you talk about depression, marital problems, family problems, PTSD, addiction, I just don't know that there's not anything in this package that he has not dealt with. If you haven't listened to part one, you want to make sure that you do it. Norm, welcome back for part two. So glad to have you. Uh, thank you for having me back. Yeah, so last time we ended with, uh, just to kind of recap for our viewers that have already listened to episode one, you were in a position where you were under investigation, you had been arrested, you had made bail, there had been some illegal dealings that you had been a part of, you had been, you had an addiction to opioids to help curtail some of the physical pain that you were enduring. Mm-hmm. And you were under investigation, had been arrested, and you pretty much knew at that point that you were going to go to prison. You were going to plead guilty. You knew you were innocent. There was no way to get around it. Again, viewers, if they haven't listened, can kind of go back and hear what led to this point. A pastor had reached out to you, a man that you did not know from Adam, had a kind of a distant connection, knew somebody who knew somebody that knew your father, and who reached out to you, makes a phone call, or actually went by your house, uh, or no, if I remember, no, he, he made a phone call, which yeah. was really odd because you did not know him, knew nothing about him, knew nothing about his church, and that's where we left off. So why don't we just pick up right there? You'd receive the phone call, and he'd actually led you in a prayer that you really didn't know or understand. Some people call it the sinner's prayer. It's a prayer of salvation. And really, you kind of capitulated on that simply because you – didn't want to be rude, but there wasn't a genuine repentance and sincere of asking the Lord into your life. And that's where we left. So I'm going to let you pick up right there where we stopped and off you go. So I I hung up and I went back to to the couch where my wife was sitting and she noticed something, which was really strange. I mean, I didn't think I was exhibiting anything different. She said, what's going on? I said, why? What, what's happening? And she said, something just feels different. And then I sat there and I thought about it for a minute. And it's an indescribable feeling of like a weight lifted off your shoulders. Um, I, I still have a very difficult time describing it, but that's the closest I could come. And she had grown up in a Christian household and her parents were still um, practicing Christians. I mean, going to church all the time and stuff. But she had never really confronted me about my beliefs because um, she knew the way I felt, you know, and she knew some of the things that were were um, being experienced because of other friends that were also police officers. So she said, well, maybe this is something that we're missing. Maybe we need to, to check out in um, the church and maybe God is missing from your life. 
Now, hang on just a second. Was she was she a true believer? I know you mentioned she had gone to church, but I mean, was she somebody that had yes. a real? Oh, so she did have a real relationship to Christ. Yes, except for not not a, a close one. You know, I mean, she never read the Bible, but she did believe that he existed and he was a kind, loving God. Yes, right. Okay, kind of surface. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, and so the next week we went to that church, and um, so I, I didn't know much about church, right? So I I ended up dressing up. And when I got to that church, now remember, I still got this cop mentality, right? So if, if someone has um, uh, sleeve tattoos or tattoos on their face and neck, I'm like very judgmental. So we get there, and it was the warmest, welcomingest. Uh, the, the people were phenomenal. I mean, they hugged us. Cause, and I don't think it's because they knew what was going on. I think it was because they saw a new face. And... But I'm looking at these guys going, oh, my God, these guys in shorts, guys in flip-flops. And I'm thinking, what the kind of church is this? I mean, oh, my gosh. And But, but I, somehow, yeah, somehow I felt a lo- um, at home there, right? So, of course, uh, Pastor Jeff was, was, was a great, great preacher, um, you know, really inspirational. Um, not the doom and gloom, but really inspirational. And um, I loved it. You know, I felt more at home there on the first day than I felt with, with you know, friends from my, friends from my work. And um, so I ended up going. I ended up joining a men's group. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm not talking to anybody because I'm really um, ashamed of what I've done. But they, like I said, they were kind and loving and, and very supportive. You didn't feel like people were looking at you. Just last week I had my hair cut, and a lady that uh, I adore – uh, she actually didn't cut my hair, but she works there. And her husband made some mistakes. And uh, he's gone through this real battle of, of feeling like everybody's judging him, everybody's looking at him, pointing a finger. Did, did you feel that? Because obviously with you having been in the newspaper and on television, people knew who you were, knew what you were accused of. Was there a sense that I don't belong here or that people don't like me or, or, or people are judging me? Yeah. Yes, the, the whole time. I mean, I don't think I looked anybody in the eye there for months, you know, my head held down. But because of Pastor Jeff and the way he brought me in, in other words, you know, uh, his arm was all, always around me. This is this is my new friend. This, you know, I mean, it was just, um, it, it was phenomenal. And But yes, you, you're exactly right. I was very self-conscious. And so um, I, I, in the men's group, I started reading the Bible. And a, a, unfortunately, I began in the Old Testament. And when I, I learned or read about how God can kill 50 million, you know, 50,000 people at a time, I was really, so I wasn't, I was on the fence, right? I mean, in one way, I was liking what I was experiencing, but intellectually reading the Bible and, and thinking, okay, well, why is God loving if he's killing all these people, right? And it's just a lack of understanding. That's really really what it is, a lack of understanding. And I was trying to learn the Bible, but so I was going weekly. Um, in between this, my daughter's doctor said we, they needed to do a biopsy on her liver. So we made this appointment for the biopsy, and I told um, the pastor about it. And this was amazing. It, it's mid-sermon, on a Sunday sermon, mid-sermon, the guy stops the sermon, looks over at me and um, says to the congregation, you know, I, I just want to focus right now on Norman and his daughter um, because they're going through this illness and we want to pray. We want to pray for healing for her. 
And I, I you know, I was so emotional at that time. I spent my whole life really burying my emotions. I mean, my dad was a military guy, so he never liked to have me stress, uh, express emotions. He never expressed emotions. When I went to the police academy, they tell you you can't express emotions. So I was a basket case. I was crying all the time. I was watching movies and crying over the movies. It was crazy. So he prayed a healing prayer. The whole congregation prayed with us, and it was really moving. So the next week, we, we did the biopsy. <clears throat> a few weeks later, we got the results. So we went ahead. Um, I went with her to the, um, the doctor's appointment. And the, the doctor basically said it's normal liver tumor or liver um, uh, tissue. I don't know what happened. And I got so angry. Yeah, I got so angry. I thought they had misdiagnosis. And um, I said, you don't understand what your misdiagnosis put me through, you know, uh, you know, you just don't understand. And he goes, no, 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 no. So he showed me the, the current scan, you know, how they put it up on that lit um, right. um, thing on the wall. Right. And the one that we took before that I had seen already was the one where the, the liver looked light colored and then the tumors were darker in that, in that area. And then the new one showed the, the liver, the light colored, but all the dark spots are gone. And he goes, I got no way of explaining it. He gave me a, a sheet of paper, which was a second opinion from UCLA Medical Center. He sent the scans and all the results down there. And they said, yeah, these are liver tumors. And one was serious. It was wrapped around an artery, which made it um, very serious. But it was all gone. And right then is when I felt, all I can really describe it as the, the feeling of uh, the feeling of the Holy Spirit, right? It was like, oh, wow, you know, there is a true, kind, loving God, and I finally get it. I finally understand it, and this was the proof I needed, right? I think God knows all along what it will take for you, um, for your salvation, right, to, to, to follow him and to humble yourself. And he needed to for me to almost lose my daughter to— um, to finally believe. And some may say that, well, that's, that's kind of bad. I mean, look what he put you through. No, no. First of all, I put myself through it, but he knew what it would take. He's worried more about my salvation than my comfort, you know? So, um, from that day on, I've been on fire, you know? So was that the day and, that you, I mean, was it like a moment where, where at that moment you just cried out to God and invite him in your life? Or, or, or was it just, is at that moment that your belief became real? My belief became real, and of course, when I went home, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer again, or at least I, I told him that I would give my life to him, and um, I was just so thankful. Uh, I'm, I'm still thanking him today for the healing of my daughter. You yeah, know, it's a whole just, lot different sinner's prayer than the first time, because this the first yeah, of course. time you were praying it because somebody <laughs> wanted you to, and now you're praying it because you've come to a place where you truly believe, and you know you need God in your life, and you believe he yeah. is who he said he was. Yeah. And, and he, I, I was the, I was so on the fence that he knew that he needed to do something big and he did something big and that's what our God does. And so you he know, does something faith. miraculous and, and you can do true saving faith. It's no longer just going through the motions or just going to church or going to a Bible study yet at the same yeah. time, you're facing what you believe is going to be prison. And how far away is that from the time that you really put your faith into Christ and was there a certain piece, it's kind of a dual question here, was there a certain piece that, okay, now that I'm a believer, 
I may still go to prison, but that's okay because God is with me. I mean, what what was your perspective on that? Um, yeah, um, that, that's a tough question. Yes, there was a certain peace. Um, I, I don't think I re- received true peace until I actually got the sentence, you know, because then I knew, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what, but what I can say is that it, this changed me, you know, um, so like I told you, I was judgmental. I was angry. I was, um, I, I don't want to say hate filled, but I was, I was really judgmental of, of the, the people that were out there committing crimes, you know, and, and part of that is because the cops don't really understand or know why people commit this or do the things they do. Right. You have no teaching in the police Academy. Okay. An addict. This is why an addict is an addict. You know, they, they don't teach that. This is why drug dealers, um, they, they sell small amounts so they can, you know, you do their own habits. It, it, it's all black and white. Either you're a good guy or you're a bad guy. I mean, I kicked to the curb many friends that got DUI. DUI is, no, is nothing. Everybody has a DUI, right? But, I, hey, this guy has a DUI. I can't be friends with this guy anymore. You know, I mean, it's just, that's the kind of attitude I had. So, a, a couple weeks later, I, I'm looking for something positive to do, to, to give back. And there, there was a bunch of places like Meals on Wheels. They, they refused my help. They said, no, we don't want you. Um, I, I went to uh, 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 spousal abuse, a uh, uh, oh, female, uh, you know, a, a call center where you take calls from females that are being abused. They wouldn't take me, you know. So I finally went to Salvation Army. And they had, they accepted me and I basically ran their volunteer system. You know, I volunteered there. So I, I wasn't working. So I, I spent, you know, five days a week there at Salvation Army and, and I was enjoying it. You know, if you would have told me that, you know, 10 years ago, I said, hey, you're going to go work and volunteer your time at the Salvation Army. I would have laughed at you. Oh, come on. I mean, that's crazy. But it changed me. It changed everything. It changed my outlook on life. Right. And when I started studying, well, I didn't really start studying the Bible, so I got into prison, but um, uh, I think I was, I had more peace then than, than I did before. That's really all I can I can say. Well, so of I, course, I, yeah, I, when you meet the Lord, that's what happens. I mean, it's no longer yeah. changing outwardly, it's inwardly that changes you outwardly. Yeah. How about your wife? Is she mad at you because, okay, my husband's well, going to be going to prison, or has she got to the place that she sees such a change in you because of your new relationship with Christ that even though she's heartbroken knowing that her husband's going to go to prison, she's able to accept it because of your new newfound faith? Yeah, yeah, we talked we talked about that, and she wasn't angry. She saw this coming, really. She, she saw something, but not, not this, but she saw something coming. She says, you know, um, I, I saw the changes in your character. I, I saw the, the decisions that you were making. You wouldn't accept my help, so I just had to stand there and, and let. And and she was seriously um, considering, like, I, I don't know if you guys have, it's called 5150 out here in California where, you know, you can uh, call the police and they'll, um, if, if the conditions exist, um, put you into a 72-hour hold in a mental hospital. I mean, she was seriously thinking about stuff like that, but she said that if, she thought that if she did that, I would probably be so angry I'd leave. But so she, she wasn't angry because she almost thought coming. And the, the, the thing that warmed my heart was she had known me for 10 years before that. 
and she knew that that wasn't me, right? That, yes, I, I had emotional issues when we first met, but I, I wasn't a danger to society. I wasn't a, a danger to myself at that time. You know, um, she knew that I had a good heart and, and I had been a cop at that time for, what, 20, or 20 years, I think, but something like that. But so she knew that I was a, I was a decent person, you know, and um, so she stuck with me. My kids stuck with me. My father disowned me. Um, he is a big, um, or was, he's, he's passed now, but he was a big guy with, you know, the name recognition. You you just dispersed the name and you did disrespect to my, my um, you know, my descendant and all this. So he, he basically um, disowned me. But before he passed, um, through letters and phone calls, we had, we had, um, uh, made up and pastor Jeff on his deathbed, um, got him to come to the Lord. So, that's, um, that's, I'm, yeah, I mean, that was worth all. Yeah. So you, you, get oh, that, saved, yeah. and how long is it from the time that you get saved to the point when you are facing a judge? Is that months? Is that a year? How long is that? Yeah. Uh, almost two years. So I was out on bail for almost two years. Okay. Um, finally finished yeah. the judge. And then what, what's the judge have to say? <clears throat> Well, the judge basically um, um, gave me 14 year sentence. Um, although she she said there were mitigating factors of the PTSD, she felt that it was more important for her to show a deterrent to other police officers than it was to mitigate my sentence because of the mental illness. Which, you know, I mean, I don't agree with, but I I, I see it. I, I see it. And you know, the way I look at it now is God knew how much time I needed to either um, come to full repentance, full humbling, uh, training. I, I don't know what it was that he was going to do in my life at that point, but God could have gave me a shorter sentence and he could have gave me a longer one. And, th- and these are the things that, that came up during this time through my relationship with him, right? Before I got to know him, I was like, well, God, why me? Why, God, why are you doing this to me? What's going on? You know, I don't deserve this. Well, I did deserve it, right? Even if I wouldn't have committed that crime, I still wasn't a good person. I didn't, I didn't um, uh, believe in God. I, I, I sometimes lied, and I was, um, I had idols and all this stuff, you know. So the more I began to understand who God is, the more peace I, I achieved, right? So, but after the, the she named the sentence, I kind of um, felt a, a better peace. Okay, you felt this the peace what, what after you got a twelve-year sentence. 14 years. Yeah. Excuse me. 14 yeah. Years. Wow. Wow. Golly. Well, it, it was like, okay, it, it's over with. I, I know what I got to do. I know what I got to go through. Um, this, this gave the opportunity to my wife to either leave me or, or stand behind me. And, and she stood behind me. And um, I felt bad for her because of course she worked in a, a school, a, a high school. And, you know, with everything on the news and all that stuff, you know, I felt worse for her because I'm sure that, there was many people. Oh, leave that idiot! Leave that bum! You know he's not going to be around. But um, but she knew the the person that I, I really am, and um, that the circumstances and the and the the pills had, had changed the, the whole character. And um, so well, and, they took me to cut. I know there's some rough prisons in California. Where were you sent? Well, luckily again, um, I would have for the same thing um, in state prison, I probably would have got sentenced to two years. And in state prison, you do 50% of your time. So I probably would have been less than a year 
in state prison. Yes, it would have been heart attack. Um, San Quentin um, is a horrible, horrible institution, and they would have probably had to lock me up 23 hours a day um, for that whatever time I spent in there because I'm sure I would have been definitely killed there. Um, But um, I I think this is, again, this is God's doing. He, He allowed this to go federal, which gave me more time, but it was a lot easier. Right. So first of all, um, they sent me to a county jail and um, I was in a a suicide cell for a whole year. I mean, it was horrible. It was just um, I got out for one hour every three days. Why did they put you in a suicide cell? Because of your mental illness? Well, because my wife. Yeah, no, no. My wife said I was suicidal. And um, and because my attorney, you know, we in open court, you know, we talked about my suicide attempts. And so they, they said I was suicidal, and I had to go in the cell. And the cell was literally, um, I don't know, about 10 feet by 4 feet. And it was just horrible. A toilet and a, a, not even a bed, a cement um, slab uh, for a bed. But you weren't um, suicidal. You had been suicidal, but no. you weren't suicidal at this point. Co- correct. And I told, I told the staff that. But I, I think, you know... Better think than sorry. I think that they were thinking. So I'm not angry at anybody, but I learned what a horrible existence it is to be in a cell all by yourself for so long. It's it's um, it's maddening. But but God, right? Um, I was able to to get in a, a Bible and I studied it, and then luckily there was a lot of um, deputies that I had worked with um, that were there. Every once in a while, they'd give me a couple pieces of pizza or, or Coca-Cola, you know, a newspaper, something like that. So it wasn't all that bad, but um, it gave me a lot of time to read and study. And, and that's for what I'm grateful for there. And well, another I would, thing I was I would say it did give you a lot of time because <laughs> you've got a master's yeah. degree in theology and Christian counseling. Uh, do you have a doctorate as well? Yeah, in uh, Christian counseling. Yeah, a two-year psychology program that earned your certificate in drug and alcohol mm-hmm. counseling. I mean, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. yeah, so I guess that's when you were able to really dig in and start your studies. Well, well the, the academic studies are important, but it gave me, even though I was only out for an hour, what they did is they sent me out with a mentally ill patient. And it's on the, seat, on the roof of this building, and it's like um, half basketball courts up there. They're all fenced, fenced off. So when I went out there, obviously these guys were mentally ill. I mean, just by their, their the way they presented themselves and the things they did. So what I did is I, I think God, you know, the Holy Spirit said, hey, go talk to these guys. So I began to talk with them. They didn't know who I was. but And they would tell me the stories of their childhood and how they ended up there. That would, I mean, you said, my, I go through, I haven't been through anything that most of these guys have been through. It's horrific. So I learned there hands-on you know, talking to these guys eye to eye that would tell me their story and that you could, you could say to yourself, man, I mean, how else, where else would this guy end up at prison or dead? You know? And I think that's what began my, my wanting to help people, right. What was wanting to, to move forward and to do the right thing and to, to help. And, you know, God says in, uh, in second, second Corinthians, right. God allows you to go through things where he helps you through. So it's basically a training process. So that others. you can help others that are going through the same thing. Yeah. You know? No doubt. So about a year there, uh, the feds picked me up, um, put me on a, a con airplane, 
And I thought I was going down to uh, Long Beach, where there's a, um, a prison down in Long Beach, which is still in California. <clears throat> and no, no, they send me to Fort Worth, Texas. And I was, I got angry again. I, you know, I mean, our flesh keeps coming out, right? No matter how hard we try, we can't, we can't bury that flesh. And they promised me there, but they sent me to Texas. And the first day in Texas, I'm walking around. I'm so angry. You know, God, why are you doing this? Because your family, so it makes it harder for your family, just for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. The reason yeah, for that is because of, your family lives in California and here you are in Texas. Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, they could drive the six hours to, to um, Long Beach, but, you know, flying, you know, three hours and the, the cost involved, it was, you know, it didn't make it prohibitive, but, it, you know, it made it a little bit more difficult. But I went to the to the chapel there, and they, they uh, there was two or three cops that were already working in the chapel. I didn't even realize how many cops were in prison, but there was a lot of cops in prison. Uh, there was like eight of them in there. And I met the chaplain, and um, and then I, I saw that Tyndale Theological Seminary was coming in there and teaching classes. And then I thought, okay, God, I know what you're doing. So I took those classes. That's where I got my, my master's in uh, theology and Christian counseling. And it, I don't want to talk too bad about him, but the, the chaplain there wasn't really a pro-inmate kind of guy. And in this prison where I was at, 60% of all the inmates were um, child porn guys, you know, um, that, that watched uh, porn and, and sold it and stuff. And those guys were very broken. And they would come to the chapel and the, the chaplain would just, you know, hey, um, if you want, talk to this guy. And, and, and I was doing things, um, I was talking to others, with a friend of mine who was from LAPD. Well, he, I shouldn't say friend, but a guy, another inmate that I had become to know. And we ended up counseling these guys in, uh, in prison. His name was Ruben Palomar, great guy. He taught me how to read the Bible from the heart, right? I, the make, mistake I was making was I was reading the Bible from an academic standpoint or, or like a book, right? But if you read it through, through the eyes of, of how does this apply to me? So every, Every paragraph, how does that apply to me? Does it apply to me? What is God trying to teach me from it? Man, it, everything just, um, it, it just expanded. And, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit was revealing so much stuff to me. It was awesome. So I learned with, with, with Ruben, we learned to, um, to um, counsel these guys. And I know what these guys did was horrific, but these are really broken men. When you get down to, to the, the root cause of it is that most of the guys, not all of them, but most of the guys have been raped in, at a young, young age and, and, and thrown around and so, some of them sold and some of them traded, you know, just for sex. It, it, was, it was horrible, but I learned so much there, you know. And during this time, so I was there for four years. Three of those years, I went to a psychologist. Um, they sent me to a psychologist um, and it's a secular psychologist. And it was helping. They were teaching me good coping mechanisms and such, but there was no healing. You know, it was just, okay, you know, I, I told my story over and over and over again. And a lot of them, a lot of the psychologists looked horrified when I told them some of the stuff that I'd seen and been involved in, you know, and that wasn't really comforting. <clears throat> but when I finally, when I was doing my um, dissertation, I did it on healing PTSD and, and I started really focusing on what God says about healing emotional wounds. And when I started to apply those to my life, 
uh, about three, four years into my stay there, I was healed of my PTSD. I, I haven't had a PTSD symptom now for about 12 years. It's been, it's been awesome. I mean, I was freer and, and had more peace in prison there than I ever had when I was working the streets and free, you know, it's like you said earlier, God frees you from that. He heals you from those wounds. And so I decided to, Hey, I'm going to write a, I'm going to write a book about this, you know, cause it, it's not easy cause you have to face your demons, but there's healing instead of having to cope with everything. I was healed. And then, so, so he healed me and he healed my daughter. So I, I was like on cloud nine. It's just amazing how you capitalized on the opportunity. I've heard a lot of inmates say in prisons that I've spoken in that prison was the best thing that ever happened to them because it brought them to the end of themselves because they came to know the Lord. And obviously you capitalized. Now, when you were sentenced to 14 years, I know oftentimes when someone gets a sentence, you say you get a 20-year sentence, let's say, and they'll say, but you'll be eligible for parole in 10 with a 14-year federal sentence, was there an eligibility for parole in seven, or was it you're serving 14 no matter what? No, uh, you do 85% of your sentence. So I think it was like 11 and a half years. There is no parole in, right now in the federal system. Okay. So there's no way you know, There's no way to get out, no law to get out. There's no – that's good conduct. So if you're good, you get uh, – Oh gosh, I, I had to figure it out again. But I think it was eleven and a half years, eleven three quarter years was eighty five percent, and then you got to do five years probation after that, you know. And um, was there so, a lot of serious threats on your life because people knew that you were an officer or had been an officer? Not, well, when I first got in there, I lied. <clears throat> I said that I was a, a fireman, so I had built some relationships. I don't want to say friends because they're not friends of mine, but I built up some relationships. And in about six months in, I, I felt God telling me, listen, if you want to have a testimony, you, you can't lie about this. you got to tell them the truth. And um, I felt that he was going to protect me. So I came out and I told the truth. Um, it didn't really affect the people that I had already met. and and um, But the word got around quick, right? So there was a couple people here and there that would, you know, as they walked past me, I hate cops. And I would just respond something like, you know, me too. That's why I'm here. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of those guys came came to me asking advice on their cases. So I, I tried to, to help them a little bit, you know, and there was no serious threat at all. Um, it was rough because in prison you have to hook up with a gang. And because I was white, the white guys wanted me to hang out with them. But I told them, hey, I, I just going to spend my time in, in the chapel uh, I'm, I'm in the middle, you know, I'm Switzerland. I'm not for somebody. I'm not against somebody. Um, so I'm going to, I'm just going to stay over there. So I wasn't able to work out with anybody. I wasn't able to use the weight pile. Um, I, I did, I was able to, to watch TV. Uh, each <laughs> The TVs are um, distributed by race. So there's a TV room for the whites, TV rooms for black, TV rooms for the Mexicans, you know. So I was able to watch TV with them, but that was it. Other than that, I wasn't really allowed to do anything. But that was the worst of it. And it, it really didn't bother me because I spent most of my time studying and writing papers and such. Well, I just love how you, and we always talk about this in the podcast because we have so many different people from walks of life that have encountered so many different things. And really, there's an opportunity to do one of two things. When you encounter 
whatever trauma problems in life, either you can allow it to break you or you can do, mm. as you mentioned, what the scripture says. You can use it as a tool to help other people and to help them navigate what you've navigated. So yeah. I, I want to get in a little bit because we have limited time here, but I want to get in um, before this podcast is over talking about some of the things you've learned about dealing with PTSD and et cetera. But I, I do want to clarify, how long did you actually spend, I mean, in total before you were released? And then tell our listeners um, where you're at right now in that process. I was pretty amazed when you told me last week um, that you were two months away. So so give, give our listeners an update on that. So I spent a total of eight and a half years in prison. It's Clues County Jail. And um, obviously that's not, 11 years. So when COVID hit in um, 2020, what happened was they decided to release me because of my crime was minor. It was, didn't hurt anybody. I was an excellent um, um, inmate. Matter of fact, I had a car. I was driving guys around to the airports and to the bus stations and the doctor's appointments, you know, so I was fully trusted. And they said, hey, we want to send you to home confinement. And so home confinement, so I came back to, to my house in home confinement. I'm limited to work, um, worship, volunteering, and if I'm doing something constructive with my um, children or grandchildren, and here it's grandchildren. So I can go to my grandchildren's baseball games or hockey games, and I can go to church and I can work. And I've been working as a, an addiction counselor um, for this private um, facility here in and the city is close to me. I see. And uh, so you're on home confinement even now, right? And you have yeah. two months left, you told me, last week, yeah. before you're free and clear. I'm, I'm free to free to go, yes. Um, that still doesn't mean I'm, under the, I'm still under the thumb of the government. However, I'll be free to travel. Like, I, I wasn't even able to go to my children's homes. I, I haven't seen my children's. I mean, they're, I say children, but one's 40 and one's 36. You know, I haven't even been able to go to their house because I'm, just, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to go have lunch with my kids. I'm not allowed to go lunch or dinner with my wife, you know. Um, so, but I'll be free to be able to go visit and see my kids' homes. I'll be able to um, have lunch with my wife finally, you know, go out and have, have something nice to eat. So, it's going to be a big, big change. And I, I can't wait. You know, we, the little things are, are so important when something like this happens in your life, you know, we always don't really realize that the little things are so important and have such an impact on your life until you lose them. Wow. Man, that's, it's amazing. I have such respect for what you've done with the trauma and one of the things that you said that I loved in your book was that if you had to do it all over again, obviously we're not talking about committing crimes or anything like that, but you wouldn't trade anything. I mean, you would go back to prison. Everything that's unfolded in your life, you wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't. And a lot of people don't believe that. But if you look at – and I don't want to lump all former cops into or firemen into one big, big lump. I'm just going to go by my experience is during my career. So I had a 26 year career during those, that time I've seen many, many, many um, guys retire and they spend their life alcoholics and they just sit there and watch TV and they're angry and they're just angry at the world and judgmental. 
you know, and my kids saw that and, and my kids told me, you know, they said, Hey, you know, you were, you were changing and we didn't even want to come over because they were all living. They all had their own home. And they said, we don't, we didn't even want to come over and visit because you weren't the dad that, that raised us. And so later on, I asked them, I said, okay, see how I am now. Would you rather have me the way I am now and lose me for eight years? Or would you rather have had me for that eight years and, and been cynical, old, old, you know, angry old man. And, and you know, you know what they, they said. And, and it was a lot more than just be, not being home with, with my kids or my wife. Oh, it's what you both my girls. Yeah, my girls got married. I mean, both my girls got married. A son of mine got married. They all had their first child when I was in prison. So I, I wasn't able to walk them down the aisle, you know. I wasn't able to be there at the birth. My dad passed away. I wasn't able to be at his funeral. I mean, there's just so much that, again, we take for granted, right? We just take it for granted. And, and praise God that I had people that I could rely on and, and trust. And now I'm a big part of my kids' lives and stuff. But you just, when you make stupid decisions, you aren't thinking clearly. And, and you, you don't realize what you have until you lose it. And when you're sitting there in a cell or, or maybe you're just sitting there in your home because your wife left you, and you look back and go, man, the things I could have done better. And I, I look at that all the time, but it's the whole experience changed me, right? It's, it's made me a person who understands why people do the things they do, right? That's the first thing. You can't judge people if, if you, you know, even if you had bad parents, you know, like maybe your, your, your mother or father abused you or neglected you, or maybe an uncle did. But when you look at back and you say, they, they didn't have any great example of, of a father or a mother figure. You know, we look at things differently. And, and I'm, I praise God that he allowed me to, to see that. And, yeah, it was the hardest thing that I could ever have done. It was my own fault, and I sent myself there. Again, but God, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. but God made yeah. everything work for the good. Well, and, and I truly love yeah, and not to mention, you know, you talked about missing weddings and birth of children. Not to mention the impact that I would have imagined had on your wife financially, and here you are well, worth. And, and I, I presume she stayed with you as she promised. Yeah, yeah, she did, and um, I, I she had such a difficult time because so many bad things happened. I mean, our house got broke into a couple times and resulted in some damage to the house and. You know, just so many little things that, that were happening. But she tells me now that it, it was a positive impact on her, right? Because she never really knew that she could rely on her own ability, right? She always thought, not that she needed a man, I don't want to go that far, but she didn't know that she could handle adversity with such grace. And, and, and she knows how to, to fix a drywall patch now in the house, you know, so it's, it's it's just um, it, it's amazing what God's done in our, in all our lives. Well, and my children too. Yeah, I don't know her, but she's a great woman. There's a lot of women she that is. wouldn't have stayed with you. And, uh, and we can yeah. morph into to some of these things that you've learned as far as helping people mm. deal with trauma. But before we we switch there, are you still close with the pastor who led you to the Lord? Yes, yeah, he's since retired, and um, I'm not allowed, of course, to, to go to lunch with him or anything. But he comes to the house um, about once a month, and I really plan on uh, spending more time with him um, in a couple months. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's great. 
Well, let's let's transition. It's just again, it's a phenomenal story, and uh, my gosh, um, I, I told staff it's amazing what the Lord has done in your life. I mean, I think most people would have gone insane. I think those suicide attempts that uh, the times that you stuck a, a barrel of a gun in your mouth, it, it's surprising. I mean, it's just what the Lord man, saved your life. And uh, again, kudos to your, your wife and, and, yeah. and to the pastor who reached out to you who didn't know you. Yeah. Again, part of episode one for those of, that haven't heard it. But all your training and all of the education that you got while you were in prison You've learned a lot of things, and your book really deals with this. And I'm going to talk about your book here at the very end where folks can get a copy of it. But one of the things that, uh, you know, you talk about ASD and PTSD. Of course, PTSD is post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome. But what is ASD? Is uh, acute. Um, So with, with acute, so say you get into a traffic accident, and it was a scary accident, you're the victim of it. So the next few weeks, you may experience, you know, some um, some anxiety, or or maybe just some um, um, a panic over what happened. But then it's, it'll go away. So acute acute stress disorder is something that's temporarily. So PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, um, is is more C PTSD, which is complex post traumatic stress disorder. And a lot of people now are calling it PTSI post traumatic stress injury because they're they're trying to get it away from a mental illness but you know i believe that we should just, just call it a mental illness and um and stop the stigma about mental illness and deal with it so a, acute is is something that will only last for a short amount of time possibly a month and um complex ptsd is something that's cumulative so it's like veterans um, if you live in an area that's unsafe, like, um, you know, uh, a, a town that has a lot of shootings, like, say, Oakland, there's a lot of children in, in Oakland, California, that are suffering from PTSD because of the gang wars and all that. And police officers, firemen, obviously, and pastors, you know, um, because it's not only experiencing that event. It's, it's a secondhand event. So a lot of pastors will come down with PTSD because they're dealing with people that have been traumatized and hearing their stories and having this done over and over and over again. And without proper self-care, you know, they could develop PTSD too. And who is susceptible to PTSD? Everyone. Everyone. Everybody has a different resilience. So resilience, um, I think that people with faith, have a lot higher resilience. So like you said earlier, that because I had no faith in God, no no trust in, in a higher power that is in control, that it affects you um, more than it does. You know, h- how you were raised, um, your education level, um, prior trauma, all these things either build up resistance or, or weaken your resistance. But everybody is, is susceptible. And, and I believe that not everybody has PTSD, but everyone has experienced an overwhelming life event. So PTSD technically is like um, uh, ch- child abuse, uh, child neglect, violence, natural disasters, um, uh, veterans, you know, um, stuff like that. But, you know, something as little as a dog bite in a young age yeah, you hear can cause negative effects for, for their whole entire life unless right. it's dealt with properly. And I see it mostly with um, with with children is is neglect, 
and I see it mostly in adults with divorce, right? They go through a difficult divorce. There's fighting over the kids, fighting over the money. And pretty soon people just do, develop anger and hatred, resentment. And that, that carries over. And although it's not technically PTSD, it's a situation of emotional wounding, right? So it kind of fits into the same um, category. And what some people don't realize is PTSD is not something that just affects the mind, but it affects the body and the soul. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the soul especially. I, I call it a spiritual injury. But it, it affects the, the physical because you have somatic effects. In other words, because of the, the, the mental stress, your, your muscles tend tension up. So you've got neck pain. Lower back pain is common. And because of the release of, um, of certain chemicals, body chemicals, you, you can get um, uh, cancer and um, um, diabetes. And all these things are possible if not properly treated. Tell us about uh, flight excuse me, fight, flight, and freeze responses. The, the fight, flight, or freeze response is something that God put into us. You know, it, it's for our own safety. So back in the in the day, you know, we all go back to the caveman day where he's a dinosaur, and then um, the, the dinosaur chases after him, but that, that fight or flight response kicked in, and he, ha- and he runs and goes into a cave. So now that's a learned response, right? Is you see um, the dinosaur, a, a, a lion, whatever you want to call it. it so what happens in, in the brain, as soon as the, your amygdala, the part of the brain, senses that there's danger, right? It initiates this process within the brain that, that causes a, a hormone dump. So your, your pupils get, get um, a bigger, so you can take in everything. You're, you're, there's a recording in our, our mind. The hippocampus is a, another piece of the brain that takes in full recording of everything. Everything is being recorded and processed. Your heart rate is, is increased. Your, your um, blood pressure goes up all in the preparation to either run or to fight whatever that danger is. Now, that's good because when there's danger, we need that. But what happens a lot of time in PTSD and from mostly in veterans and um, in, in, in cops and firemen, is that when the danger is over, because of the intensity of that traumatic incident, your brain doesn't properly move that event into the long-term storage, right? So it stays right there in present storage. So what happens is that's anything that could trigger it. So yeah. say... Um, you hear a backfire of a car, you're a veteran, you hear a backfire of a car and your brain says that's a gunshot, you know, and then bam, it dumps those hormones in. And then all of a sudden you're experiencing that and it dumps a, a, a chemical called cortisol into your system. And cortisol, high cortisol levels can give autoimmune disease, can cause cancer and all kinds of stuff. So this is, this is all going on without you doing anything. This is all an, auto, an automatic response. And once we process what happened to us, we can put that all to rest. And um, I, I think that that's, there's a lot of secular um, ways to do that. However, I don't think there's full healing uh, with that. And that's my, my own personal opinion. I've seen a lot of guys who have went through secular um, counseling, got EMDR, which is a rapid eye movement um, a treatment, really great success but they still get triggered. Right. So what, what used to trigger me was railroad tracks because of that, the couple of people that I just had to 
to pick up body parts. Every time I hit a railroad track, you're driving over one, um, I would panic. But now, after I went through the process, I, I don't have those triggers anymore. And I think that's what we should all, we will never forget what happened, right? But the goal is to have it not control our emotions, getting to a point where it doesn't have that power over us. Well, and you've said you're completely healed, correct? Yeah, I haven't had a PTSD symptom, a panic attack, an anxiety attack, almost 12 years now. Would you say that's common? I mean, do you know a lot of people that have had PTSD that have experienced the complete healing that you've experienced? Um, only in the church. So in, in the secular world. Say that again. Say that world, again. I, I want our listeners only, to, yeah. Only in the church. Only congregants of the church that truly believe in God. Because God created us. Only God can heal us, right? And it, I'm not putting down secular psychologists. I mean, they say they saved my life by giving me proper coping mechanisms, right? But there was no healing. Three years of, of every week for two hours talking and talking and talking, asking questions, answering questions, not, not a bit of healing. But six months after going through this, this process of confession, repentance, and a re- renunciation of, of the, the sinful coping ways that, um, I, I use, uh, I'm, I'm healed. I mean, I, it's just, it's incredible. And that's why I wrote this book. I thought, you know, it, it's simple. I mean, it's not really simple because you have to go back into your past. You have to accept responsibility for what you need to, you have to forgive people. That's the hardest thing that humans ever have to do is forgive people. And you have to f- forgive God for, um, the things that you perceive that he's done. Now there's no need to forgive God. God doesn't do anything bad. But humans naturally blame him, you know, and um, so it's a process of just, first of all, de- determining what the root cause is. Okay, what, what am I wounded of? Okay, what happened? All right, I'm afraid, and that's why I really recommend journaling. We can do it with, with a, a trusted friend, and we can talk about it, but journaling it is one of the best ways. So say you're afraid of dogs, and it, it's infiltrating your relationships, because when you start dating a woman and she's got a dog, you can't go over there because you're afraid of the dog, right? So, okay, why am I afraid of the dog? You, you kind of got to go back. And if, if you don't really remember, you can pray, and the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you when you're, when you're ready to receive them. And then when you determine, okay, well, um, um, I had a dog bite when I was eight, and, and since that time I've been afraid of dogs. Since that time I've been um, running away from dogs, and I hate dogs. You know, and then you start working through prayer, and pretty, pretty soon it has less power over you and it doesn't really affect you anymore. So are you saying that the coping mechanisms that people can get through therapy, I mean, are you saying that they are valid and they're good, but that's just not the ultimate sense of healing? I mean, I just, it's amazing here. You are working in a capacity where you're doing counseling and yet you say that you've never known of anybody that has experienced complete and total healing outside of the church, meaning outside of a true belief in Christ. So does that mean that people that are dealing with PTSD or ASD, they should not go to therapy? Or are you saying, no, no that's no. good to go to therapy to get the coping mechanisms, but also realizing that ultimately the healing's going to come from God, or am I putting words in your mouth? Oh, no, you you took the words right out of my mouth. Because I work at a place where it, it, it's not Christian, right? And I'm really not allowed to... To, to push um, Jesus on anyone there except for the 12 steps because the 12 steps really is considered a, a Christian thing, but the 12 steps have, a, have it right, right? You have to, it, it, and the, 
I don't know if you are aware of the 12th, but the 12th AA 12 step says you've got to accept the Lord and trust him to relieve your pain. Right. But no, it, if, if you seek counseling, please, God put secular counseling on this earth for a purpose. I, I truly believe it. But from my experience, not only personally, but being involved in, in addiction counseling and trauma counseling, um, they, they have good, um, it's good for us to go, but wouldn't you rather have healing than just trying to cope through the triggers of the day? That's the way I try to put it. If you truly want healing, my opinion is the only way to do it is through a Christ-centered approach. Because again, God puts out that prescription in the Bible. He lays it all out what we got to do for inner peace. There's no if, ends, or but about it. I mean, it's, it's right there. And that's the only way that healing will really occur. I, I, I love my, um, my psychologist. He helped me through a lot. Um, he was able to um, give me a lot of tips. Like, you know, when I, when I talked about my, my guys at the, um, the, the center, when they're having a, a panic attack, yeah, there's certain things you can go. You, you know, you can, there's, there's thought distraction techniques where you think about something else. They ask me what I do. When I have a trigger, what I do is I start praying. I start, I start praising God and thanking him for my children, my grandchildren, and that trigger goes away. Are you, you know? allowed to and, share um, the spiritual principles where you work, or do you hope to one day get in a place, if you can't, where you can, since you do believe in Christ-centered counseling? Uh, I truly hope to get into a place where I can. Um, this place is um, kind enough to allow me to tell them my experience. Yeah. So I cannot say to them, this is what you should do. I, I can say to them, this is, this is how I got through that. Like when I was in, in prison and I would get a, 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 um, the trigger for maybe taking a pill or um, a, a trigger that would make me um, want to do something stupid. That, that was my go-to thing, my distraction. So I take my mind off of whatever it is there and put it on God. And when you focus on God, you, you can't, you can't be angry. You can't be bitter. You can't be resentful because you're, you're praising God and it changes your whole outlook on life. And that's what I tell them. And a few guys have come to the Lord, but then, you know, some of the guys have been through so much trauma that, um, you know, it's going to take a long time and you know, for them to, to realize that, that God is the only real healing. The way I interpret this relationship that you explained between therapy and God, you know, that therapy is a good thing and you can learn some coping mechanisms and how to deal with it. But God being the ultimate healer, the way I interpret that is similar to a broken bone in your leg. Well, yes, you can go to a doctor and you should to get him to set the bones in place. But while a doctor can set the bones in place, a doctor cannot make those bones grow back together. That's got to be God. And, and right. I don't know if that's a good example, but that's kind of the way I, I understand what you're saying. Oh, it, it is exactly. I mean, in my book, I use a, a, a cut, a cut to the arm. It's the same kind of thing. If it's not treated properly, right, with, with um, uh, cleansing and wound care, it's going to get infected. And when it gets infected, that's, then let me just get to veer off a little bit. So, the way I like to explain it is, you know, on your car's dashboard, there, there's a red light. 
And when that red light comes on, it's an indication that something needs to be repaired, right? right? So what do we do? We go to our owner's manual. We look in there and it says, do this, do this, do this. Okay. So our negative emotions, our resentment, our anger, our anxiety is God's way of telling us that something in our past needs to be resolved or something that's going on currently needs to be resolved. And we won't get rid of those negative emotions until we do these things, right? So as we determine what, what the thing is, right, we're, that, that, that wound, that emotional wound is going to become more and more effective until we do the cleansing. And the cleansing, I like to call it spiritual cleansing, right? Where we get back into fellowship with God because a lot of us say that we're doing good and we're, we're doing God's work or we're, we're, we're walking in the Holy Spirit. We're not, right? I mean, we're all sinners every day. We're, we're sinners. So when we when we cleanse that and we get back into fellowship with God, that's when the healing begins, right? Because He's the only one, like we talked earlier, that can give us real peace. Right. Well, and, and your book talks about some things that can affect healing: sin, unforgiveness, uh, root of bitterness, uh, mm-hmm. things you've sowed and reaped, uh, hardened conscience, mm-hmm. soul ties, honored parents, strongholds, etc. The list goes on yeah. and on and on. That's where people really need to get your book. But I, I do love the relationship that you have because I'm, I agree with you. I think therapy is a great thing. But, again, as my illustration of the bones, yeah, let's go to the doctor and let's get yeah. all the building blocks we can. But ultimately, let's depend on Christ. And, and I, I know that is hard for some people because they're bitter at God for why things are, or yeah. how things have unfolded in their life. Sure. We're running out of time. You know, I could literally uh, do about 10 podcasts <laughs> with you. But what I would like you to do is uh, to quickly give the six steps to start your healing. Okay, so the, the first step would be to really understand who God is and who he sees you as, right? Because most of us see God as an authoritarian father who, you know, is going to smite us as soon as we do a sin. That, that's not true, but that's how, that's what I thought, right? And who he sees you as, right? A, a, a child of God. He's, you're a member of his family. He loves you. And everything that happens happens for a purpose. That's the, that's the thing about most people don't understand about Christianity is, is your, your pain and suffering all has a purpose. And the second thing is understand all these spiritual laws. You just, just said them. I mean, sowing and reaping. If we know that what we're going to say, you get extra money back at, at this grocery store that you don't deserve to get back. Are you going to do the right thing by giving it back? So, you know, you got 20 bucks extra and change. You give that back, you walk away, you know, so whatever you do, there's repercussions, there's consequences. So the more good you do, the more blessings return to you. But the more bad things you do, the, the bad things are going to come to you, right? So we got to understand all those principles. And then the main thing is identifying that root cause of, of what it is. What's, what's the real reason that's oppressing you, right? Is it, is it that divorce? Is it childhood trauma? Is it just that you never felt that you were loved or, or you were abandoned at some point? Whatever the reason is, once you know what that root cause is, it, it's more than half the battle's over, right? And then what we got to do is, is we got to identify your response to it, okay? And I'm not talking about childhood trauma uh, when you're a child. How are you responding to it now, okay? Do you, do you hate your father and mother, you know, because father did something to you? And the mother never helped you, you know, so you feel abandoned, you need neglected, you, you have no trust for authority figures in your life. 
So how is that manifesting in your life? And, and the way, what, what are you doing about that? Are you drinking your cares away, taking pills like I did? You know, are you doing um, dangerous um, activities like gambling, overeating, undereating, you know, promiscuous sex, all these things you got to look at what you're doing. And that's the most difficult part is, right, is you have to look at yourself in a true light. Most of us, when we look at ourselves, we think we're good. We think we're doing the right thing. But, you know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we got to identify uh, our shortcomings. And when you identify those things, you know, healing prayer, you confession and repentance and renouncing those things that we've done, renouncing the addictions, renouncing the, the, um, the spiritual warfare that's going on, all these things, renouncing that, you know, you dishonored your parents, you know, because the Bible says, if you don't honor your parents, things will not go well with you. It, it, I mean, it's, uh, it says it in there three or four times. You, you have to honor your parents. Now, some parents don't deserve to be honored, right? But you have to at least forgive them for what you perceive that they have done. And I say perceive because sometimes we all see things differently. And, and so, um, but forgive them and stop judging them for, for what you've done and just move on. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be friends with them or go to Thanksgiving dinner, but at least you got to do what God tells you to do. And there's, I, I think there's like 14 prayers in, in the book that, that talk about trauma. They talk about, um, um, all, all sorts of different things, sexual trauma, um, homosexuality. There's the sinner's prayers in there and, and all kinds of stuff. Whatever you, whatever you need, it's all in there. And yeah. then to keep, to keep that Holy Spirit, uh, to keep that, that healing process going, just to continue to walk in the Holy Spirit. And all that is really is just do the right thing or try to do the right thing as much as you can. You know, we all know what's right and wrong. It's, it's written on our hearts. That tells us. But a lot of us just don't do it, right? We end up um, you know, going, going, being overly angry at somebody, maybe have fits of rage, resentment, all this stuff the Bible talks against. And the reason why God doesn't like all these things and, and with anger and unforgiveness because he knows that he'll eventually cause chaos in our spirit and, and, and cause these negative emotions. And, and we're going to be oppressed to our sin. And there is no peace, no joy, unless you go through this spiritual cleansing process. Man, Norm, you are just an amazing guest, and I just love your story. I love what you've done with it, and I just love the redemptive value of what God does in bringing healing. And again, when you look at your life and, and all the things that you've been through, I mean, you've been through so many traumatic experiences, not only in your career, but in your life with your kids, with your marriage. The list goes on and on. And I would encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of this book. It's called Healing a Broken Heart, subtitled Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma. It's by Norm Welsh. It's W-I-E-L-S-C-H. Everything's here. Everything from why God allows suffering and trauma to uh, issues affecting healing, um, obstacles to healing, principles that affect healing, uh, warfare, uh, six steps, case studies, the list goes on and on. It's a phenomenal book. I haven't had a chance to finish all of it. I've read quite a bit of it. And not only should you get the book, but Norm, what's a good way for people to reach out to you? If they want to reach out to me with any questions or comments, um, my website is the best, which is christ-centeredhealing.com. christ-centeredhealing.com. Through there, you, there's links to buy the book. Or you can get it on Amazon under uh, my name or the book's name. 
Uh, you can email me with any questions, and there, there's um, more of my story in there, and um, and some other ways to to um, find healing. Well, I might add, I'm an avid book reader. I collect books, and uh, it's been a long time since I've had a book that had pictures in it. And normally, I would think, I, I don't know about that. I love the pictures in this book because there's everything from prisoners uh, pictures when you were an officer to pictures when you were in prison to pictures of some of the physical things uh, that you've been through undercover. The list goes on and on. Norm, thank you so much. You are a a city that is set on a hill. You know, Jesus said that we're to be the light of the world. That's what you are. And he said, we're to be the salt of the earth. And that's what you're doing, man. God bless you. Thank you for being a guest on taboo talk listeners. Read the book. It's phenomenal. Thanks.